1: Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 566 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Just want to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. That song you are hearing right now is, of course, Leave the Lights On from our good friends in Pacifier. You can check those guys out anywhere you get your music. And the Rangers coming off of just a really exciting 5-4 to four overtime victory against the Buffalo Sabres. We'll be breaking that game down in just a second here. And what I'm also going to do today is play a recording of a special roundtable edition that we did with some of the other Locked On NHL hosts. We team up with Hunter Hodes of Locked On Penguins, Ian McLaren of Locked On Bruins, and Armando Velez of Locked On Florida Panthers. We also get uh, Seth Topo calling in to uh, share his thoughts about the Minnesota Wild, and we also get the Locked On Avalanche guys calling in to share their thoughts about the Avalanche. Basically, it's just what it sounds like. It was a special post-deadline edition, and uh, we all just kind of Got together and shared our thoughts about everything that happened and everything that didn't happen regarding the trade deadline. So we will get to that in just a second. Like I said, it was taped last week. Definitely want to push this out to the audio feed. It's already been posted on YouTube. So definitely subscribe to the Locked On New York Rangers channel whenever you get a second. But I got to talk about this game because obviously a lot happened and, you know, given the fact that we're playing this roundtable today, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter discussion than usual, but obviously I still want to touch on the things that happened in this game. Again, a very exciting win for the New York Rangers, and I think we might as well start with uh, the way the game ended, and that was, of course, in overtime, 3-on-3. Always a little bit of a crapshoot, but I had a pretty good feeling going into this game that uh, it could and would turn out in the Rangers' favor. They had a chance to win in overtime fairly early in the 5-minute period. Uh, You had Panarin making a drop pass to Jacob Truba. Truba had a shot from the slot area. Save was made. Artemi Panarin almost stuffed the loose puck home. Uh, Couldn't quite do it. But the overtime period continued, and you had Ke'Andre Miller making a really nice defensive play at his own blue line. The Sabres were looking for a pretty long stretch pass right up the center of the ice there, and uh, Miller stuck out his stick, prevented a possible breakaway. And then at that point... Andrew Kopp picks up the puck, comes charging in, you know, right at the center of the ice, gains the blue line, passes to his right to Alexi Lafreniere. Lafreniere dishes back to his left, to Andre Miller. Miller's right in the center of the ice, and he takes a shot and scores. And just like that, the Rainers' overtime winners. So Miller, a great play on defense. And then uh, he joins the rush up the ice and scores the game winner. Uh, could not ask for a much better ending than that. Obviously, listen, there were things you could nitpick. I mean, being up 2 nothing seems to be the Rangers' kryptonite as of late for one reason or another. And I'm not even just talking about two-goal leads in general because I know there's some people that think that it's the most dangerous lead in hockey. It's not. A one-goal lead is the most dangerous lead in hockey. I get where the saying comes from, but come on. Let, let's be real. End of a playoff game, you have a choice between the Rangers being up by two goals or being up by one goal. Which one are you going to pick? Uh, but that that is it May. Um, yeah, you know, the Rangers, it seems like uh, recently, you know, post-All-Star break, uh, they've had some issues where they've gotten 2 nothing leads and either lost the game or given up the lead and then had to come back and win it. We saw them give up the lead in this one. They're up 2 nothing. They fall behind 3-2. They come back and win the game. Uh, we saw against the Kraken they were up 2 nothing. They gave up the lead in that one and had to win it in overtime. We saw the game against the Blues. They were up 2 nothing. Blues went up 3-2. Rangers came back in the third period to get it done. And they've also lost a couple of games where they were up 2 nothing. So they got to fix that. I mean, you got to... I don't really know what the solution is other than to just, you know, keep the pedal to the metal, but I think you got to give some credit to the Sabres in this game as well. Uh, It's not the most talented team in the league, but they certainly fought back and, uh, you know, were in it and played hard right to the end. Uh, The other big talking point coming out of this game is that the line combinations and defense pairings stayed exactly the same, and that was somewhat predictable after the Rangers got, you know, one of their best wins of the season in the game prior against the Penguins. Uh, This also means that Ryan Reeves remains a healthy scratch. It also means that Justin Braun remains a healthy scratch. And so uh, three games since the Rangers traded for Braun. Braun played in the first one. Braden Schneider's been out there for both of the last two. Very interesting situation to monitor going forward. Uh, Schneider, I thought, overall had a pretty nice night. He had one giveaway that was less than ideal, but besides that, I thought he was solid. And Alex Georgiev, you know, he gets the win. This is his third straight victory. He's starting to get right. Uh, It was not, you know, a fantastic game for him. He obviously gave up the four goals. Uh, The first one, there was nothing he could do. The Rangers left somebody wide open right there on the doorstep. Uh, The second one was a heck of a shot. The third one against Akposo, I think that's the one that you look at, and it's like, man, like, Georgiev's got to come up with that one. Basically, Akposo, uh, he made a nice play, you know, strong drive to the net there, uh, but basically just stuck it right through the five hole, and that was that. The goal was scored. Um, so again, you know, a a decent outing by Georgiev, at least he's winning, at least he's keeping the Rangers in games, giving them a chance to win, uh, certainly doing a little bit better now than he was, uh, not all that long ago. And like I said, his third straight win, uh, Ryan Strom left this game in the second period. I don't think he played at all in the second period. And then he was ruled out, uh, as the Rangers came back out onto the ice for the third period. The broadcast let us know that Strom had been ruled out. Not really seeing any updates today, and Gerard Gallant was asked about it and basically just said that, you know, it was a lower body injury, and he doesn't see it as anything serious. So uh, going by his very brief comments there, it sounds like Strom could maybe even be good to go for the Rangers next game, which will be Tuesday at 7 p.m. at Pittsburgh. And then the day after that, the Rangers will be at Detroit at 7.30 p.m., and that's how they will close out the month of March. So two road games back-to-back. But something that really stands out for me in this game is just how well the new Rangers uh, just continue to play for this team, and I think you got to start with Frank Vetrano because he, of course, scored two goals in the span of 18 seconds and did so uh, 3.59 into the game and 4.17 into the game, respectively. Uh, the Rangers get a two-on-one, and Vetrano basically just pulled the trigger. You know, Kreider was there, too. He had an option to pass, but he took the shot, and he scored, and this was all set up by Chris Kreider because the Sabres won a draw in the Rangers' zone, but Kreider Kreider was, you know, kind of Johnny on the spot there, uh, went right after the puck, skated away with it, immediately passed up the ice to Frank Vetrano, who's got great speed, and then Vetrano goes in with Kreider on the two-on-one, but Vetrano ended up taking the shot, uh, beats Anderson, and scores, and gives the Rangers a very early one nothing lead, and then this was really interesting because the ensuing faceoff, they leave the Mika line out there, so Mika, Kreider, and Vetrano, and you've got Skinner and Vitrano kind of exchanging sticks before uh, the face-off, and Skinner was, you know, having some words with Vitrano. Vitrano was mostly just ignoring him. I'm really not sure what Skinner's deal was here, what the issue happened to be. I mean, I didn't see anything, but uh, Vitrano just let his play speak for itself because right after that, uh, Vitrano intercepts a pass by the Sabers in the neutral zone, goes in from the left side all by himself, and goes five-hole. Just great anticipation by Vitrano on this play because you know he saw where. Thompson was going to pass to, and he just picked it off and went in alone. And I think it's a risk worth taking in that situation if you're Vitrano, because even if he tries to, you know, jump the pass here and the pass isn't made, uh, the puck's in the neutral zone. He's going to have plenty of time to get back in defensive position before the Sabers ever create a scoring opportunity or anything like that. So a uh, great gamble there, great anticipation. Like I said, Vitrano in alone and scores on the breakaway. Just like that, it is two to nothing, Rangers. So, two goals for Frank Vitrano. Andrew Kopp ends up with two assists. He gets the secondary assist on a goal by Artemi Panarin that gave the Rangers a 4-3 lead early in the third period. And then he, of course, also had the secondary assist, as we already discussed, on Ke'Andre Miller's game winner in overtime. And the man who had the primary assist on Miller's goal now has a six-game point streak, and that is, of course, Alexi Lafreniere. He scores the game-tying goal in the second period for the Rangers, and like I said, picks up the primary on this goal by K. Andre Miller. But I actually wanted to kind of walk everybody through Lafreniere's game-tying goal because this was a thing of beauty and great work from both Philip Hedl and Johnny Brodzinski on this play. So the puck is in the Rangers' zone. Philip starts to skate it out. Now, Philip not necessarily known as being the most physical Ranger in the world. I mean, it, it's not really uh, that big of a part of his game. Not that he, like, shies away from contact or anything like that. I don't want to make it sound like that's what I'm saying because I'm not. But if you think of somebody who, you know, you want for the Rangers to be in a board battle, it, there's probably other guys you think of before Philip Heedle. But Heedle did a fantastic job here. Like I said, he, he skated the puck out of the Ranger zone. He's cut off by a Buffalo player. He's kind of pinned against the boards for a second, but he keeps going, keeps fighting, and is able to slide a really short pass to Johnny Brodzinski uh, to his left. Now, Brodzinski continues moving the puck through the neutral zone. He gains the blue line, and Philip Heedle is trailing him at this point. And Brodzinski passes to his left to Philip Heedle. Heedle then he's in the center of the ice. He passes to his left to Alexi Lafreniere. And Lafreniere from the left wing moves in, uh, pulls the puck to his backhand and just tucks it home. Kind of went flying after he scored the goal there. But uh, just a great goal by Alexi Lafreniere and great work especially by Philip Hedl and also by Johnny Brodzinski on this play. Cannot say enough about uh, the shift that they had here. And obviously, uh, this line combination was a little bit different because by this point in the game, Ryan Strom had been ruled out with an injury. Uh, Fingers crossed that he'll be okay like we were just talking about. It sounds like Gerard Glant seems to think that it's a a fairly minor injury and uh, hopefully Stromer's back out there uh, for Tuesday's game against Pittsburgh. So... Like I said, this is kind of an abbreviated game recap. Obviously, usually we spend the entire episode uh, recapping the game from the night before and you know, going through the highlights and the lowlights and the biggest talking points to come out of any given game. And that's what we're going to do going forward as well, for sure. Uh, but for today's episode, like I said, I do want to play uh, this interview or this roundtable, actually, uh, with myself and the rest of the Lockdown NHL hosts. And we're going to do that in just a second. Definitely an interesting listen because we kind of gained some perspective you know, as far as where teams like the Bruins stand, and the Panthers, and the Penguins, and the Wild, and the Avalanche, and how does everybody feel about the trade deadline? Who were the biggest winners? Who were the greatest losers? Uh, I feel like I really came out of this conversation. Knowing even more about where, you know, teams like, you know, the Penguins and the Panthers and the Bruins currently stand. But like I said, we're going to play that for you guys in just a second. But first, just want to let everybody know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by BetOnline.net. After months of playing, college basketball has determined the top teams for the Final Four and will determine this year's national champion this coming week. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info, from all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews, for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting, wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Online where the game starts. All right, just wanted to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. And as I was just discussing, we're going to go ahead and play this very special NHL Locked On Roundtable for you guys right now. Enjoy all right welcome back hockey fans we got a very special edition for you guys here today a trade deadline special that is going to feature several of our locked on hosts whose teams were buyers at the trade deadline on monday this is john chick with locked on new york rangers i'm joined by hunter hodes of locked on penguins ian mclaren of locked on bruins and armando velez of locked on panthers and guys i figure we might as well just go ahead and jump right into it here uh first question for all of you and we can start with hunter Uh, After all the moves that were made among the Eastern Conference teams that certainly look like they're going to be in the playoffs, who would you consider to be the favorite coming out of both the Atlantic and Metro division? And who do you think will ultimately uh, make it to the Stanley Cup Finals? Hunter, you're up first.
2: Well, that's certainly a good question. Um, You know, I think from the Atlantic, you know, it's probably one of Florida or Tampa Bay, I, I think, at least for me. Um, You know, Florida is going to need to get Ekblad back, though, if they're going to have any shot of going on a run here. Um, We all saw what happened last year when they looked like they were humming, and then he got hurt and was out for the rest of the playoffs, and then Tampa beat them in six games. So if he can be back for the playoffs, I think that would be my team to beat. Um, In the East, well, from the Atlantic at least, um, Metropolitan-wise, you know, I have Pittsburgh and Carolina at the top. I would probably side with Carolina a little more right now. I think the Penguins – struggled against them uh, in the three meetings this year. That's honestly the team that's really carried the play against them, even though I think that would be one heck of a seven-game series. Um, That said, out of the East at least, I still think Florida um, makes a very deep run and goes to the final. I do think they will get Ekblad back for the playoffs. Though, again, if they don't, um, I probably would take Carolina to come out of the East. I, I know Tampa Bay really went all in yet again. They got Hagel. Um, a couple other players, but, you know, they're all, they've also played a lot of hockey these last few years, which is why it's so hard to go on a three-peat. So I, I do think um, if Florida gets that Ekblad back, they come out, but if they don't, um, I am going to side with Carolina. Um, still not sure on who wins the cup, I think, at this point. You know, I kind of I side a little bit with the Avalanche just because um, I think they, this is the year that um, they can prove that they can win in the playoffs, but until they do that, you know, who knows, I think, at this point.
1: All right, uh, definitely some interesting thoughts there. Ian, you're up, man. What, what do you think? What do you got?
3: I mean, from the Atlantic, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, and, and for me, it, it always comes down to who has the better goalie in the, in the playoffs, and I think the Tampa Bay Lightning still, with Andre Vasilevsky back there, probably the best goalie in the world. Uh, they still have Victor Hedman, still have Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos playing at a high level. Uh, they added Uh, Like Hunter mentioned, Brendan Hagel, Nick Paul. uh, For me, they're still uh, the team to beat in the Atlantic Division. Uh, I I do worry about uh, Florida a little bit with Ekblad's uncertainty and with, uh, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky's sub-900 save percentage for his career in in the playoffs. Um, And the Maple Leafs, you know, kind of like what Hunter said about the avalanche, until they do it, kind of won't believe it (laughs) until I see it that they're able to get it done in the playoffs. Uh, As far as the Bruins go, you know, they added Hampus Lindholm. Uh, I would have liked to have seen them add uh, more up front to really make uh, make a run. Although having said that, you know, heading into Thursday's game against the Lightning, they're only one point back of Tampa Bay and could jump over them. Uh, But I still think at the end of the day, it's uh, Tampa's division to lose and the uh the idea of kind of winning a 3-peat just uh too tantalizing for them not to just give it their all and, and do it one more time. Out of the Atlantic or sorry, the Metro, uh, that's a pretty tough call, but I think you got to go with Carolina. They've been the best team uh in that division all season long. I still have uh, some questions about Frederick Anderson as a, as a Bruins observer, you know, I've seen him kind of fall apart in the playoffs in the past. Um, but they have as deep a team up front and on the back end as anybody in the NHL. And I, I really do think, uh, they'll be able to take it to the next level, um, this year. And then, you know, for the cup, I could see Carolina, uh, and Colorado in the final, uh, Tampa Colorado I think is what is going to happen I, th- I think the Avs are just too good out in the West and and I do think it's it's Colorado's year especially after uh, some of the moves that they made prior to the trade deadline
1: and uh we'll go ahead and get our thoughts from Armando Velez of locked on Panthers as well Armando you're up man who, who you got who's winning these two divisions
4: um Ian made uh, some great points in regard to goaltending. Andre Vasilevsky is the best goaltender in the world. And that's the reason why the Florida Panthers went after someone like Claude Giroux, because they wanted to sure up that scoring. And I talk about all the time about how in hockey, it's very similar to baseball, that the best way to win in baseball is your pitching. The best, the most valuable way to win in hockey is your goaltending. And that's where Ian... Is absolutely correct when it comes to that, but I, I also think that with how the Florida Panthers scored, I mean, games slow down in the playoffs. That's a reality, but uh, I'm very, I'm, I'm very confident that the Florida Panthers really can uh, find a way uh, to really score um, in deep, in deep, deep into games whenever they can. Um, the, the third period is their highest goal differential in, in any period uh, this season. So, out of the Teams that go out in the Atlantic, the the battle of Florida is likely to happen again in the second round. Um we can see this go seven, but even though uh Tampa Bay lost a third line, they recouped it. <laughs> um, they, they got another uh third line just like that. Um I do think that the Florida Panthers do eventually break through um and get to the Eastern Conference final. Um the Metro is a little confusing for me um, because you have Igor Shesterkin who's carrying that New York Rangers team uh they got a little bit of a forward uh, help um in their middle six slash bottom six uh, including Frank Riano from the Florida Panthers uh, as one of them and the the power play if if the New York Rangers aren't um getting power plays are they going to be able to uh, to make their make their way to the eastern Conference final and that's the that's the really uh i question as far as the metro of uh, freddie anderson as well um the um, ian also talked about freddie anderson so what's he gonna look like there and of course um uh, uh pittsburgh you can never count out um Sidney crosby and gino malkin there they uh, traded for Kel from the anaheim ducks um to get some help there as well and i know chris letang is going to be a free agent uh this uh, off seasons but he I just saw that he had a power play goal last night so uh he's he still definitely got you can never count out the Pittsburgh Penguins but I think uh I think uh when push comes to shove I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are actually going to come out of the metro uh, over Carolina because of the experience you 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 can never count out um Sidney Crosby um as far as the cup I still think uh, it's the Colorado Avalanche I mean even with two games in hand that the Florida Panthers have uh on Colorado even if they were to win those two, they would still be behind in points, uh, in, behind the Avalanche for the uh, abs to get the President's Trophy. But of course, no no team has won the Stanley Cup, winning the President's Trophy since 2013. So, but I think that the Colorado Avalanche they added to their bottom six um, as well, even though their trade for Claude drew didn't go through. They their offer was bigger to Philadelphia than um, Florida had, but they used some of those. Uh, those, uh, I would assume assets that they would have traded for Drew to fill up their bottom six. So I still think that, um, that Colorado is, uh, this is their year to win it.
1: Yeah. And I uh, do weigh in as far as these, these division winners are concerned for the Metro yeah. Carolina hurricanes, you know, obviously I'm a Ranger fan, but you know, it, it's a very unique situation in the Eastern conference because unlike a lot of years, we've pretty much known for quite some time. I mean, there's no guarantees, but it certainly looks like, uh, you know, the eight playoff teams that were looking like they were going to remain in those positions are indeed going to remain in those positions. So it's unique in and of uh, that reason itself. But, you know, for the Metro, I'm going to go with the uh, Hurricanes just because I think this team is absolutely loaded from top to bottom. Uh, It's a team that's kind of been knocking on the door the past couple of seasons. And uh, on top of, you know, all the great players that they returned this year, they've now got Freddie. Anderson standing on his head and uh, having a vesna worthy season. It's out. They're obviously not the highest scoring team that's going to be in the playoffs. I believe they're about 11th or so in in goals per game, but uh, we know how the playoffs can be. You know, there's a lot of grinded out, you know, blue collar type games, and I think that suits the Kane style just perfectly. They lead the NHL in uh, goals allowed. Uh, They have the best, uh, they, they lead that stat, you know, in the entire NHL. And again, you know, Freddie Anderson is just killing it for them. But it'd be very, very conflicted if the Canes, you know, go on to win the Stanley Cup because right now it feels like they have about 25 different former New York Rangers on the team. So that'd be a very bittersweet moment for me. Uh, but again, I, I think the Canes, you know, they're they're looking really good. And uh, as a Ranger fan, I've been emphasizing the importance of staying out of fourth place because I want no part of that team in the first round. You know, we know the four teams that are going to make it, but I'd much rather the Rangers play the Penguins for the uh, Capitals in the first round rather than the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. And as far as the Atlantic, I'm going to go with the Panthers. You know, I, it's uh, Ian, I think you made some great points about the Tampa Bay Lightning. And certainly, uh, you know, they're a threat to uh, get a, a three-peat. But I just think that, um, you know, that, that'd kind of be like the standard answer. So I kind of want to go against the grain a little bit. And I love the moves that the Panthers made it at the uh, trade deadline this season. You know, bring, bring in Ben Chirot, bring in, uh, you know, Claude Giroux as well. It's just kind of a case of the rich getting richer And, uh, you know, they just got a great team and it's a team that's kind of been knocking on the door the last couple of seasons as well. So I'll say for the Eastern conference finals, give me hurricanes and Panthers and sorry, Armando, but I think, uh, I think the, uh, hurricanes are going to pull it out there and end up in the Stanley cup finals. Just want to take a minute to let you guys know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse just so happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, Locked On in their How Do You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. And uh, we just want to thank everybody for making uh, all these great Locked On shows your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. And I should also mention that there were a couple of Locked On hosts that were not able to join us today for this uh impromptu post-trade deadline edition here, but they were nice enough to send in a couple of videos, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get some thoughts from the guys from Locked on Avalanche, excuse me, on how the Avs fared at the trade deadline. Just get their general thoughts, and we're going to hear from them right now.
2: How's
5: it going, everybody? Chris and Kyle from Locked on Avalanche, and while we couldn't be part of the trade deadline roundtable... We still wanted to put in our two cents on how the Avalanche did at the trade deadline. And I think I speak for both of us when we say that Joe Sakic pretty much hit a home run with the trade acquisitions for the Avalanche. Nothing that's like, I would say, a massive splash, but there were needs that the Avalanche needed to address. And I think that the Colorado Avalanche and Joe Sakic did that hand over fist.
0: Especially when you look at the names that Sakic went and acquired in the trade deadline and what he gave up for these pieces. It doesn't make a lot of sense until you look at how it's applied to the lineup. Like the Avalanche aren't really a team that need to go out there and get that household name to solidify the team as a whole with names like Cale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon already on this roster. You just need an additional piece to get you through the playoffs because as the defending president's trophy champion, like you know how to win the regular season, you just need to win the cup, and that's what these pieces are going to help you do.
5: Yeah, great point. And
0: for you, you get Josh Manson,
5: who helps you on the defensive end. You get Nico Sturm, who will help you for some depth forward, and you get rid of Tyson Jost in the process. Then you go get Andrew Cogliano, and the big move that they made was for Arturi Lankinen. That, if you're going to pull one big name out of this, that's the one that kind of turned some heads the Like, really, the Avalanche is just going to add him to the mix? Okay, fine. It just <laughs> makes him that much more difficult to face. And what did they give up in the end? Like I said, you give up Tyson Jost. Sure, you give up Drew Hellison, who's one of your top prospects, but maybe your top prospect in Justin Barron for Lankinen. But that's what you have to do when you're the Avalanche at this stage in the game and at this stage in the season. Like Kyle said, you're preparing for the postseason. And then on top of that, those are the only two players that they gave up and then draft picks, none of which was a first-round pick. When first-round picks were flying across the league, Joe Sackick said we are not going to get rid of a first-round pick, and he didn't. So the question you have to ask yourself, after all these moves, the Avalanche were in a good spot before all these moves. Are they better because of these moves? I think you have to unequivocally say they are, and that's a scary thing.
0: Not only is Sackick building for this year and winning the Cup this year, knowing that contracts are up in the next coming years for some star players on the team, we still hold those first-round draft picks. So he's building for the Cup this year and still maintaining for years to come. That's why Sackick is the best GM in the league. And he probably still won't get nominated
5: for best GM of the league. One of the greatest mysteries in the league for the past couple seasons, but All that will matter is if the Avalanche can win the Stanley Cup because the moves that they made last year, people liked them at the deadline, they didn't pan out. These you feel a little bit more comfortable that they will, but you still have to wait and see. And the Avalanche are in a much better spot after the deadline than they were before it. Now they just have to go out and perform in the postseason, which has eluded them for the past couple seasons.
1: All right, so huge thanks to Chris and Kyle for sending in that video there, sharing their thoughts. Obviously, Avalanche, they're kind of in uh, Stanley Cup or bust territory at this point, especially when you consider the uh, regular season that they're having and how far they are above uh, pretty much everybody in the Western Conference. But uh, we'll just keep this thing rolling here. And a uh, question for everybody that's on the call here, so to speak, uh, who do you guys think was the biggest loser among the Eastern Conference playoff teams uh, on deadline day here? And once again, we'll, we'll stick with the same order and we'll, we'll toss it to Hunter.
2: See, that's a good question. Um, You know, I think obviously, you know, Tampa Bay had made some really good moves. They don't really care about their draft picks, um, nor should they. They're going for three in a row. Obviously, I thought Pittsburgh made a really good move by getting Ricard Raquel. I thought Boston did uh, some very smart additions, especially with Hampus Lindholm. I'm not really crazy about the long-term extension for him, but um, that's a team that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. Um, I don't think it would surprise anyone um, if they – can go on a deep run here. Um, Carolina made a good move by getting Max Domi. Um, I wasn't super crazy about what the Washington Capitals did. And, you know, maybe it's because they don't feel like this is their year. I mean, Marcus Johansson is not what he used to be. Johan Larson is good defensively. Doesn't bring a lot of offense. Um, I feel like they should have went out and gotten another defenseman. Um, Michael Kepney is not really that good anymore. Um, John Carlson has kind of been fading for the last year or two. I mean, Dimitri Olav's fine, but... Um, they just don't have, you know, a lot of good shutdown defensemen on their back end. Justin Schultz is not nearly what he used to be. Trust me, um, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw him really fall off during his last year here um, in Pittsburgh. So I think if there's a loser, um, maybe it's Washington, just because you know they didn't go all in like some of the other teams did. I mean, that's not to say that I don't think the Capitals you know aren't a good team. They they definitely are, and they are going to be a tough out in the playoffs. But I definitely think they should have. Added a defenseman at the deadline, and you know, maybe if they wanted to go out and get a goalie, um, uh, they could have done that, um, as well. You know, I liked what Flora did with Giroux Outside of that, I'm not really too crazy about some of their other moves, but getting Ben Sherratt for that really high price is definitely weird. Um, and especially you know, Robert Hagg, I think you're just going all in on toughness when. Um, you know, it just kind of reminds me of what the Penguins did back in 2013 when they had this base, almost like this super team, but then they go out and get Douglas Murray and Brendan Morrow and um, those two players didn't really help out um, at all. But again, I would probably say Washington um, definitely do as, didn't do as much as they should have, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, all right. So uh, I think that's a great choice. You know, the Caps, uh, there's a lot of teams around them that obviously got a little bit better. And uh, they, a couple small moves, but nothing too crazy. But Ian, you're up, man. Uh, what's uh, Who was the biggest loser in the Eastern Conference as far as the playoff teams are concerned?
3: Uh, well, I think I do want to be uh, slightly critical of my own team, just for the sake of, uh, of fairness. Uh, I do really think the Bruins missed when they didn't trade for either a, a true second-line center or a, a scoring right-hand shot. Uh, you know, that's a huge hole that was uh, left when David Krejci decided to, to move back home. And although Eric Hall has been playing pretty well in that position, I, I don't see him as a, a number two guy on a a cup-winning team or cup-contending team. I know people will say he played that role for Vegas when they went to the final, but... That was a few years ago now, and that was just a weird (laughs) weird thing all around. Um, I would have liked to have seen them trade Jake DeBrusque uh, as well. That whole thing's been hanging over them. He kind of has one foot out the door. Extremely streaky player. Hopefully he goes on a hot streak down the stretch and when these games matter most. But I would have liked them to uh, kind of get rid of that distraction, potential distraction, and bring in uh, a scoring winger like a, like a Raquel, like the, the Penguins were able to land, but I'm going to say the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, for not adding a goalie. Um, they are allowing more goals per game in 2022 than teams like the Arizona Coyotes, the Buffalo Sabres, Seattle Kraken. They're down in the bottom 10 in that category. And Uh, Just very head-scratching that they did not um, add at that position. Uh, I know there were some back and forth with Chicago and some uh, barbs sent between the two Kyle GMs there about those reports coming out with respect to Marc-Andre Fleury, um, whether or not he wanted to go there. That perhaps was a deciding factor there, but uh, the market... Perhaps a bit limited when it comes to goaltending. They tried to add against uh, add at that position through the waiver wire, uh, uh, and they were blocked in that respect, uh, which is kind of hilarious because that always happens to the Leafs. But to not add a goalie to go into the playoffs, relying on uh, Jack Campbell, who was good to start, falling off. Peter Mrazek has been pretty terrible lately. Um, I just think that team is, uh, is doomed for another, uh, first round exit as a result of not addressing that position.
1: All right. And Armando, you're up next. Uh, once again, biggest, uh, loser among Eastern conference playoff teams at the deadline here.
4: Yeah. Um, Ian stole a lot of what I wanted to say about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, Hari Satari is the name that the, um, that the Toronto Maple Leafs went after for uh, goaltender and, According to Elliott Friedman of Sportsnet, five teams uh, went into trying to claim Hari Atari from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, uh, and the Toronto Maple Leafs over the last uh, few seasons have had five more players claimed off of waivers than any other team. So uh, nobody wants to help Toronto. And just like as Andrew and Mary on the Crosscheck NHL show, um, nobody wants to help them out. So these uh, GMs, um, they're competitive. And some of the, them don't. Um, necessarily like each other. If uh, leaks start coming out, I know there's going to be, um, I'm not sure if we're going to see any trades uh, via Chicago or Toronto in the near future, but there's also a question about whether it was an agent, maybe Alan Walsh, um, who's also Jonathan Huberto's agent as well, and he's trying to get him paid. So uh, Toronto's a, a big loser of mine, but I, um, there's also a Western Conference team that I'm maybe, maybe thinking that they're kind of a loser in the trade deadline. And I'm going to go kind of with the Dallas Stars. What what are they going to do with John Klinberg? Uh, as far as him being a UFA, there is a contract t- talk stalled as well. Are they going to be able to re-sign him? They have long-term contracts with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan there. They have to pay Jason Robertson as well. Jake Ottinger out there as well. So the Dallas Stars on the Western Conference side of things um, are uh, my biggest loser. And as well as... The obvious one, the Vegas uh, Golden Knights, uh, as as well with the whole Evgeny Dodonov uh, situation. But Eastern Conference, uh, Eastern Conference, it's Toronto. Western Conference, it's uh, Dallas and Vegas for me.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, agree with Hunter. I, I think the biggest losers among the Eastern Conference team, uh, definitely the Washington Capitals. The way I see it, you know, the Capitals, they're not getting any younger. There's a veteran team. And of course, you know, they had the one Stanley Cup championship a few years ago. But, you know, for that core group of players, I got to figure, you know, they're probably running out of chances to add a second Stanley Cup. And I don't know, coming into the deadline this season, I thought uh, they might kind of push all their chips to the center of the table, really go all in, really make a a big time splashy move or two and uh, try to run down some of these teams that are ahead of them in the Metro division. And that's another thing, because when you look at the Metro, you know, the Rangers made a lot of moves. Uh, The Canes, you know, they brought in Max Domi. They didn't do a whole lot, but Domi's a good player and somebody that could definitely help them. And the Penguins made a couple of moves as well. Uh, The biggest thing they did, of course, is bring in Ricard Raquel. So, uh, you know, the Capitals, they go into the deadline, fourth place in the Metro. Certainly they're going to make the playoffs, but they're staring up at three teams and the divide between the Capitals and those three teams, at least on the surface, uh, got a little bit bigger. And, And, you know, again, all the teams we cover, everybody that's on this call, everybody made at least one or two, you know, fairly significant moves to make themselves better going into the playoffs. The Capitals didn't. And I don't know. I mean, that's, that's going to be tough for them to overcome. I think come playoff time, because even as things stand, I, I think they might be destined for yet another uh, first round exit. We'll see how it shakes out. Uh, but yeah, for me, it, it's the Capitals that are the biggest losers of this, uh, this whole deadline here, not just in the Eastern conference, but probably in the entire NHL. Um and as I mentioned earlier, you know, there were a couple of locked on hosts that were not able to join this call here today. But again, they were nice enough to send in some pre recorded videos. And what we're going to do now is play a video from Seth Topol from Locked On Minnesota Wild. He sent in a video just kind of sharing his general thoughts on everything that the Wild did. So uh, let's go ahead and hear from Seth right now.
0: Ready? Seth Topol, host of Locked On Wild, your daily Minnesota Wild podcast, answering the question, where the Wild stands now. In the Western Conference. So, Marc Andre Fleury, Nick Delorier, and Jacob Middleton in after some trade deadline moves by the Wild. And I think this makes the Wild at least the third best team in the Western Conference. Wild have addressed the goalie position. They've got a goalie who can potentially steal some games for them. The uh, combo of Talbot and Kakanen. Um, inconsistent this year, and uh, I think the best that you're going to get out of them is uh, a game in which they keep you in it, um, but don't necessarily steal one that maybe the offense doesn't perform well. Um, Flurry can do that for this wild team, so I think over the course of the series, I think he can take at least one game that you uh, probably should have lost. Look at what he did last year against the Wilds in uh, in Vegas. I, I think that ability still exists with him, and so uh, I think that is a huge get for the Minnesota Wild. Also addressing the physicality that uh, has seen them get pushed around by the likes of Florida uh, and Calgary here uh, over the second half of the season, I think the Wild have addressed that enough to where uh, I think they can hold their own uh, against some of these teams, and so... You know, Colorado's still the class of the Western Conference, but I think the Wild have gotten themselves into the discussion to where they can contend with the Calgary. And so, you know, maybe not quite on the Avalanche level, but uh, a team that can can compete with them, and uh, I think is in that next step below uh, with the likes of Calgary um, as some of the best teams in the Western Conference. So the big question becomes then. Uh, can the Wild steal enough games to uh, upset in a playoff series? Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, we'll uh, have to wait until playoff time to see if they can answer that question. For more on the Minnesota Wild, make sure you follow Locked on Wild wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: All right. So, a uh, huge thanks to Seth for sending in that video, sharing his thoughts on everything that the Wild did, uh, you know, heading into the trade deadline here and the home stretch. Uh, I figure we might as well uh, go with a Wild-related question next, and that's going to be, uh, where do the Wild slot in in the Western Conference uh, you know, pecking order after adding Marc-Andre Fleury, and are they in the same level as, say, you know Colorado and Calgary, or are they somewhere below them? And uh, once again, we will go ahead and start with Hunter. Uh, your thoughts on the Wild, adding Fleury, and uh, where they stand right now?
2: Yeah, I definitely think Minnesota's in a, in the tier below, I think Calgary um and Colorado. Um, I think some people do sleep on the flames this year. I know the Avalanche are obviously the big talking point for the West, but Calgary is right up there um as well. I think they're gonna bully someone um in the first round. But Minnesota, I think they can play with those two teams. Remember, you know, last year um they played with Vegas um pretty well in, in that in that series. And, you know, I know they ended up losing to them. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was like five or six. Uh, I don't think it was a five or six. I think it was actually seven game series. But they showed that point that they can play with some of the top teams. In the West, and you know, getting Mark Andre Fleury—that's a big acquisition for them. I personally didn't think he was going to move, but you know, then I did realize Billy Garing is the GM in Minnesota. Him and Fleury have had a lot of history. They won a Stanley Cup together in 2009 when Billy uh, G was still playing with the Penguins. Um, then obviously he was assistant general manager um, with Pittsburgh when Fleury was there. So. Um, they're definitely pretty tight, and I think that's the main reason that he did end up going to Minnesota. But you know, Kaprizov is a one-man wrecking crew. He can, you know, come alive in an instant. Matt Zuccarello is having one heck of a year. Um, you know, this is a team that can definitely, um, you know, I think win around or two. I think maybe win around. I think at least one round right now. I'm not really sure if they're going to win two. Um, but for me, they're definitely in that tier below Colorado. Um, and Calgary. I would probably rank them as um the third best team in the conference right now. Just looking at the Pacific Division um and the rest of the uh Central. I know St. Louis has had a really good year. But um if they were to if those two teams were to play in the playoffs, I would probably give the small edge um to Minnesota, at least in my opinion.
1: All right. And uh Ian, uh, your thoughts on the Wild picking up Marc Andre Fleury and where they currently stand uh in the Western Conference pecking order.
3: Yeah, I mean I think um it would have been a crime against hockey if if Marc-Andre Fleury was not in the playoffs this season. I was not a fan of him kind of toiling away with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Minnesota, a very fun team to watch. And uh, I do agree with Hunter. I think they could uh, certainly take the St. Louis Blues if they were to match up in the first round. Um, however, I still do think that uh, Colorado, even Calgary, those two teams are the class of the Western Conference, and uh, it would take, you know, a, a pretty vintage or all-world performance from uh, Mark Andre Fleury in order to take down one of those two teams, especially in the Avalanche. That's who Minnesota would most likely have to get through in order to advance to the Western Conference Finals. And again, like like we've been saying, I think Colorado's just too good and too strong to uh, be thwarted by Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, he's the reigning Vezina Trophy candidate, but he's still, uh, sorry, winner. But he's not, uh, you know, the Mark Andre Fleury of old necessarily. And uh, the Avalanche attack is is just too strong, I think, to uh, to not make it through uh, the the Minnesota Wild. So I'd still slot them behind Colorado and Calgary. Uh, but probably, you know, yeah, in that in that middle tier of Western Conference teams for sure.
1: All right, and uh, Armando, your thoughts once again on uh, Mark Andre Fleury to the Wild and how this impacts the Wild and their chances going forward here.
4: I think they're now the the third best team in the West, right behind Colorado and Calgary. If they were happen to be in the Pacific Division and facing off Calgary, they'd have a chance to they'd they'd have a real chance to uh, advance to Western Conference Final, but that's not the case. <laughs> so they have to go through Colorado, and Colorado, my um, pick to to represent the West in the Stanley Cup Final. So it's gonna it's gonna take uh, marc Andre Fleury being being Mark Andre Fleury of of old of, cor- of course, and well he just won a Vesna last year, but still um, the, he's got to have that Vesna Trophy caliber play. All throughout the playoffs, I know the pick that's sent to the Blackhawks. It's of uh, four out of the eight wins have to belong to Mark Andre Fleury and advance to the Western Conference Final. But I just think that Colorado is too good. They have a embarrassment of riches. Um, I know I'm talking about from a uh, Panthers perspective, embarrassment of riches from the Eastern Conference. The the West, uh, the West uh, for Colorado, they have their embarrassment of riches out there in uh, Colorado. Um, still, there's still the question of Darcy Kemper in goal for the uh, Colorado Avalanche about hi- injury history especially uh, but but with uh, the firepower that the Colorado Avalanche have I think that um, they're gonna advance past the Minnesota Wild and represent um, the center Division in the Western Conference Final um, against the Calgary Flames
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head, and I think Seth hit the nail on the head as well when he mentioned that he thinks that the Wild with the acquisition of Flurry, are now, you know, one of the top three teams in the Western Conference. I'd slot them just probably below Colorado and Calgary. Uh, but with Flurry, you know, and, and Hunter, you know, you and me can definitely appreciate this because we've seen the Rangers and the Penguins have some just epic playoff series over the years. You know, it, it feels like it's always going seven games and there's overtime games and just general madness. But, you know, watching Flurry so often in the playoffs – There's a very wide range of outcomes when it comes to him. He can be the best goalie in the postseason and just stand on his head and just simply not let the puck get by him. By that same token, we've seen him in the playoffs. Certain years look like he's never played hockey before. Um, So it's really hard to put your finger on this and really know exactly what you're going to get with him moving to a new situation in Minnesota. But I will say this. It seems like every time people kind of leave Flurry for dead – he proves them wrong. You know, people were thinking that he was on the downswing even when he went from Pittsburgh to Vegas. And the next thing you know, uh, he's in the Stanley Cup Finals as the starting goalie for an expansion team, which is crazy in and of itself. Uh, but I think, you know, his stats aren't the best this season, but obviously he was on a pretty hopeless situation in Chicago. I think getting onto a better team will kind of reinvigorate him. And, uh, you know, like I was talking about with the Capitals, we don't know how many more chances they're going to get at this. This is kind of the same thing, but it's with an individual player. We don't know how many more chances uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is going to get to go on a, a Stanley Cup run. I believe he's like 36 or so now, so starting to get up there a little bit. But I think he's going to play well for this Minnesota Wild team, and I think they're absolutely a threat. I think for sure they'll at least get out of the first round. Um, I would take them in a series against the Blues, which I believe is who they'd be lined up to play if the season ended right now. And uh, if they played the Avalanche in the second round, I think that series would be a doozy. I think it's going seven games, and uh, – uh, buckle up for, for a series like that. And it'd be fun for us to watch, guys, because, you know, when you watch your own team in the playoffs, you're you're on pins and needles and you're yelling at the TV and all that stuff. But when you're watching, you know, two other teams that you're kind of indifferent toward, you can just kick back and watch some good hockey. But, um, yeah, you know, Flurry, he definitely tips the scales a little bit in the Western Conference, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he can do uh, for the Wild come playoff time. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, to me, uh, the Wild, they're right there. They're right there with the Flames and the Avalanche, and I, I think they've got a chance to end up representing the West, Um, But that kind of leads me into the next question that I wanted to ask everybody, and that is, uh, do any of these teams in the Western Conference stand a chance against the Avalanche? As we talked about, you know, the Avs, they're they're head and shoulders above everybody as far as uh, current record. But does anybody think that, um, you know, any certain teams are a threat to them? Or is there a team that might even be considered the favorite over the Avalanche? And once again, Hunter, you've got the floor.
2: I think Calgary can really give them a series. Um, Johnny Goudreau is having one hell of a season. Um, you know, I know he's an unrestricted free agent after this year, but he's really showing that. Uh, he's going to get his money, um, that's for sure. But honestly, Calgary is really deep. You know, Lynn Holm on the top line as well. They got Tyler Toffoli from Montreal over a month ago. Uh, Matthew Kachuk is on the second line. Mikael Backlund, um, Blake Coleman, Cali Um, You know, Sean Monaghan's on the fourth line, and he's a pretty decent player. Defensively, I'm not too crazy even though, about them, even though Hannafin is – Pretty decent, you know, Chris Tanev's having, you know, a nice little renaissance these last couple of years. Um, But, you know, goaltending-wise, they have a goalie that can stand on his head whenever, and he was doing that a lot this season. That's Jacob Markstrom. Um, He's been one of the best goalies in the league. Um, And, you know, Daryl Sutter has done one heck of a job um, with this team. I know usually Daryl Sutter teams are not the most fun to watch. Um, you know, I've kind of compared it at times to, you know, Barry trots with the Islanders when they kind of just bore the game down. But, you know, there's a lot of stars on this Calgary team that, you know, they are a fun team to watch. And, you know, any team that gets them, I think, in the first round is going to have a rough time. And I do want to see, you know, Calgary and Colorado go at it in a, in a conference final because um, it would make for some very, and I mean very entertaining hockey Um, Two very well-coached teams. I think, you know, if Daryl Sutter is not a top um, Jack Adams uh, trophy contender, then I don't know what the heck we're doing here. Um, But I definitely think if there's one team that can really match up against Colorado and potentially beat them, um, it's the Calgary Flames.
1: All right. And, uh, Ian, your thoughts on uh, any team in the Western Conference or maybe even one or two teams that can potentially stand up to the uh, Colorado Avalanche?
3: Yeah, I certainly agree with uh Hunter. I think the the Flames have the best chance of matching up with the Avs. Uh Markstrom, probably a, a Vesna Trophy finalist. They're allowing, I believe, the the second fewest goals allowed uh yeah, this season. Uh only Carolina is allowing fewer goals per game than uh than the Calgary Flames. I still think, though, that even though they're a bit of a mess right now and they're not even guaranteed to make the playoffs, I think Vegas could still um, make some noise in the postseason, but there's so many ifs that go along with that. They uh, need to get uh healthy Robin Leonard. They need to figure out their salary cap situation with Evgeny Dadnov being uh, not traded. Uh, but if they can figure that out and if they get – uh, Mark Stone back healthy, uh, Max Pacioretty firing on all cylinders. Jack Eichel is in the mix. Um, a lot of things have to come together for that team, but they always seem to do for Vegas, and I still think they could make uh, make some noise there in uh, in the Pacific Division. Uh, but ultimately, I really do think that it's Calgary or Colorado that that. Uh, comes out of the Western Conference. Having said that, we all know that it's rarely the top teams in each division that make it to the final four. There's always some surprises along the way. Um, and uh, not that Vegas would be a surprise based on who they have, but a lot of things would have to come together for them to to come out of the West and I think it's it's possible that uh, that it does work out for them.
1: Yeah, a lot of people kind of counting out Vegas, but Ian, to your point, I think you know if they do get in, they they could be a threat for all those reasons that you just mentioned. Um, we'll go ahead and toss it to Armando here. Armando, uh, who's the biggest threat to the Avalanche over there in the Western Conference? Before I do, that's a lot of
4: ifs, uh, Ian, <laughs> and um, Vegas has sixteen games to figure out all of those ifs. So um, when it comes to um, when it comes to all that, um, I. I'd, I go, I go back to Calgary when it comes to former Florida Panthers goalie prospect, Jacob Markstrom, who it took a little bit of time for him to uh, develop, um, spent a little bit of time in Vancouver being traded for Roberto Luongo uh, back in like 2014. Um, so it took, a, it took Jacob Markstrom a little bit of time uh, to get uh, accumulated to the NHL. And now he, um, It uh, great to see that Vancouver, even though he walked, that they are in pretty good position with uh, Thatcher Damko um in goal but still um goaltending is where what what it comes down to and even though if i had to choose a second team outside of the flames or the wild maybe the la kings you, you never know that what kind of uh play you'll get from jonathan quick they don't score a lot of goals the la kings are not a goal scoring team but uh you never know that the their goaltending could possibly win a playoff series and make a little bit of noise um, in the Pacific Division. Um, I'm still I'm not sold on Edmonton their goalie situation. That that that's another uh, that's another situation where we could talk about how they kind of lost in the trade deadline uh, as far as uh, building around McDavid and Drysital. But um, may, maybe it's it's a big maybe with the LA Kings. But um, Calgary they got the goaltending to match up against um, Colorado.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, Armando, I'm glad you mentioned the Kings there. They're one of those teams that I don't know that they're getting the respect that they deserve. I don't know how seriously they're being taken by, you know, a lot of um, hockey analysts and and just fans in general. But they've got an interesting mix of, you know, talented young players, but then also, you know, some veterans who have turned back the clock and a couple guys left from, you know, the most recent championship team. So I think they're going to be interesting come playoff time. They could be a little bit of a dark horse. Um, But let me just say, you know, as far as, you know, teams standing a chance against the Avs, Everybody stands a chance, and that's what's great about the Stanley Cup playoffs because, you know, I know a lot of people love March Madness, and me too. You know, I'll check out the tournament and everything, but we all know when that tournament starts, a 16-seed is not going to win the national title. And when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs, I don't think you can really point to any team and just say, oh, they have no chance or that team has no chance. I don't know how many of us would have said that the Montreal Canadiens, for example, uh, were going to make it to the Stanley Cup finals last season. Um, And I, I think something else that you guys all touched on is the goaltending situation. And you look at the Flames, to begin with, they just have a great team. But on top of that, uh, Jacob Markstrom probably having the best season of his career, somebody that should definitely be in the mix for a Vesna. And I'm still a very firm believer. I don't know if this is cliche or whatever, but uh, a hot goalie and a good goalie can take you a long, long way in these Stanley Cup playoffs. And I think the Flames really have an edge there. And Markstrom, if he continues to do in the playoffs what he's done the entire season, then the Flames are a serious threat. And honestly, I think I might actually take them if it's them and the Avalanche, the last two teams left, I think I might take the Flames uh, to win that series. Now, maybe part of the reason for that is that the Flames played the Rangers twice this season and they beat them by a combined score of like 11 to 1. So I saw the Flames at their absolute best. So maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. But uh, to me, that that's a very dangerous team. And the fact that they have Jacob Markstrom, uh, a goalie that, you know, again, is going to be in the Vesna mix, that, that makes them just even better. So. Yeah, Um. This. listen, guys, this was a ton of fun uh, doing this little uh, roundtable discussion here, breaking down all the uh, the moves that happened, all the moves that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely have to look to do this again at some point. Maybe we'll get some kind of an off-season episode or something like that. But, uh, listen, hockey fans, everybody that tuned in to watch this here today, we really appreciate it, and uh, we will see you guys next time.